Welcome to a new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. In this episode, we are talking with Evan from Sentry about micro interactions that improve the user experience. Evan, you want to give a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Sure. Awesome. Well, I guess th- first off, thanks for uh, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. I'm super excited to just kind of talk front end, talk shop, um, talk micro interactions. Um, definitely going to be able to talk a lot about that. Um, but yeah, hey, uh, my name's Evan. I'm a senior engineer over at Century. I've been there for, I think, just about six years now. So I want to say I joined when we were like 30-ish people, maybe like 20 engineers. So it was it was pretty small, so I've definitely got kind of the whole history of everything. Actually, I actually think I joined as a, um, I think my title at the time was like product infrastructure engineer. Um, so I ended up doing a bunch of back end, but at some point I just started doing kind of all front end. And um, I'm pretty much just doing that now. So I'm kind of like heading that all up um, and just kind of, you know, just doing a lot of front end over at Century. Um, but yeah, um, over here in the Bay, uh, San Francisco. So I've been here for about nine years. Um, been on a few other companies, um, but yeah, definitely loving the vibe at Century. A lot of really smart people. Uh, let's see. Um, favorite drink, you know? Okay, so alcoholic drink. I think I'm I'm really simple. I, I you know, I'm not one of those people that's like super knowledgeable. That's that's like oh, I know all these different drinks. So I think like just gin and tonic for me. Um, though tonight I've got a uh, this very Bay Area. I've got a boba. So <laughs> nice. I'm actually jealous. I want a boba right now. That would be actually really good. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's also give introductions of our panelists. Stacy, you want to start it off? Sure. I'm Stacy London. I'm a principal front end engineer at Atlassian. Jim Young, engineering manager at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? It was UX. 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 All right. I'm pretty sure with micro interactions, we're going to be saying (laughs) UX at some point. Um, But yeah, let's give you a good way to start too, Evan, is, you know, What's uh, let's talk a little bit of history about the front end at Sentry, but even what does Sentry do? I I'm very aware, but I I don't know if all of our listeners know what does Sentry do. And yeah, let's talk a little bit about the history since you've been there for a while. Yeah, for sure. So Sentry, kind of at its core, is a I guess the simplest is an error monitoring platform. So the general idea is you know anyone who's building software. You know, you want to know that it's working, right? You ship it out, you ship out an app, you ship out a website, you ship out a front end. Um, you generally want to know that, like, it's not breaking for everyone, right? And I guess kind of the, you know, typical way you might do that is you'll, you know, look through some logs, make sure you're not getting any exceptions in your, you know, server logs. Um, you know, maybe you've hacked together something on your front end that, you know, ships off um, some global exception handler that, you know, tells you when things are breaking, Um but Sentry kind of just streamlines all of that into like a really, really nice package where, you know, you integrate our SDK and um, essentially anytime anything breaks, you'll just be notified. And it has a bunch of smart features, you know, where it will kind of group together the same errors. So you can see right away like, oh, this error is happening, you know, 50,000 times in the last like 10 hours, whereas this error might have only happened, you know, 15 times in the last 10 hours. So it's very obvious right away, like what's important. Um, and it does a bunch of other, you know, kind of really nice things. So, you know, keep track of users, you'll keep track of sessions. So you can see like, you know, what percentage of my customers are having errors. Um, you can see, you know, how many users are affected by a particular error, kind of similar to being able to tell like, this is really important. This is definitely really important if, you know, everyone's affected by it. Um, and then on top of that, you know, we've kind of built a, a number of other kind of um, products just on top of Sentry that kind of makes sense in that monitoring space. So, um, we have a product for kind of performance monitoring, and that's kind of, um, you know, all the way kind of like full stack where it's like distributed tracing kind of thing where, you know, on the front end, a request fires off to the back end, um, some database stuff happens, and then, you know, that response comes back to the front end, then some UI stuff happens, and at some point you get your first contentful paint, and you can kind of use Sentry to kind of track all of that and kind of see over time, like, how are we doing on performance, right? Like, is it... Is it slow? Is it fast? It's, and it's kind of like one of those things where if you think about it, um, uh, performance is kind of a quote unquote error in a way, right? You know, if your website takes 10 seconds to load for everyone, that's not very good, right? Um, so 
that and yeah like i said we've got a few other kind of nifty things i think we just released our um, session replay feature which is another really cool one where essentially it can um capture sort of the 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 ui or the content of a user's session as they might run into a bug or run into an error and then in Sentry, you can go and replay that and i think that's kind of like the the general overview of kind of Sentry as a product um I don't know. You guys tell me, does that make sense? <laughs> no, I think you did a really good job uh, explaining it. And I think like, yeah, the replay, being able to replay a session is so handy when you really want to debug something like back in the day, you wouldn't have something like that. You'd be like, you know, someone would be like, oh, this doesn't work on my browser right. or my machine. And you're like, uh, can I like remote into that person's machine? Like th there was just really hard to do that. And so being able to get some of those insights just like through software is so, so powerful. Yeah, definitely. And so since you've been there for a while, I'm I'm curious, like, what's the front end look like? I mean, I, it sounds like you started on the back end, but love to kind of hear a little more in depth on like, what are the libraries frameworks? You know, what's changed? Yeah, so I think Sentry was one of the probably earlier kind of products to um, adopt React. So, you know, when I joined and it was like, I want to say circa 20... 2017, I think, um, you know, we were already full in on React. And I want to say, you know, Sentry started kind of as a product. You know, I don't even know how old it is. I think we just had our 15 year commit anniversary with a wow. first commit of Sentry. Um, and maybe just even a little history on Sentry. You know, it was it, it honestly was kind of like a developer's developer tool in the sense that, you know, the founder of the company um, just kind of was building it in his spare time. And you know, I think at some point, you know, people were like, hey, can we just like pay you to run this kind of thing? You know, and, you know, you know, one thing leads to another and all of a sudden there's a business out of it. Um, but, um, oh, geez, I think I forgot the question now. <laughs> I think more just like along the lines of like. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, I can just kind of dive into all of it. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I was using React kind of way back when. Um, I want to say when I joined, we were already using Webpack. Um, I think as I joined, we were kind of migrating off of SaaS, kind of getting away from that just because of the maintainability of, you know, having these giant style sheets with, you know, hundreds of different files being imported. Um, and we moved over to um, style components. I think specifically we moved over to Emotion. Um, at some point, I want to say maybe four years ago, um, we kind of had this meeting where we we're like, hey, should we should we be typescripting in, in this? And I and I want to say, like, in the meeting, I remember it was kind of like, um, you know, we were like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense for SDKs. But, you know, does do we really want to be slowed down by you know having to write types? And, you know, at some point we, we just said, you know, I think someone hack weeked it. And basically um, we, we threw TypeScript in and, um, you know, it wasn't too long for like, hey, this is really good. Um, so I think uh, about two and a half years ago, we finished our full TypeScript migration, um, which was something like. I want to say like 2,500 files um, and took us, I think we have a pretty good blog post on that. Actually check the, the Sentry blog for that. Um, so yeah, we've got, we got TypeScript. We love that. Um, boy, what else, what else, what else is in there? Um, we're, we know we're not too fancy with like server side rendering or anything like that. You know, the backend's a kind of um, Django monolith kind of thing. Um, and then we've got, you know, various other kind of little services here and there for some of the, the heavy, um, ingestion type stuff. So Django, so it's kind of like a sort of traditional server served pages, but then some maybe React dropped in there. So I want to say when I joined, it 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 was a lot of kind of server rendered stuff. Um, at some point, we did have a pretty big push to just kind of get everything into React and kind of turn the Django side of it really just into an API server. Um, we is a little bit of a sore spot. We do still have a few Django rendered pages, um, and it, it hurts us in, in the performance sense because you know, for, just to load Sentry the website, you have to go through the whole Django backend. We can't just statically serve you some you know index dot HTML that you know quickly loads everything. But yeah, it's, it's mostly a it's mostly a spawn these days. Nice. There's always those legacy pages that you know it's just like it's a thorn in your like side but you're like yeah it's it's gonna it's so much work to go deal with it and it's not something that's prioritized yeah we all have those stories which is yeah it's great so micro uh interactions how would you describe a micro interaction yeah let's do it so i was kind of thinking about this earlier i think the way i would kind of describe it and i don't know this might be like a very like kind of personal way to describe it but 
anytime that I feel like you use like an app or a website and either it's like it's your first time using it or or maybe it's like, yeah, let's just say it's your first time using it and it just kind of feels really good. And and when I say feels, I really mean kind of like this, like, um, you, you know, it's it's more of like a psychological kind of thing um, where, you know, just little things about the interface or little things about like the functionality of it um, just kind of make you kind of feel like, hey, this is nice. Like this is this is a good user experience. Cheers. Um, Cheers. Let's drink for that. Yeah. I guess to me, you know, some some really good examples that um, maybe I've kind of been really loving recently of of kind of maybe like applications that have really nice um, that kind of like feeling. I think like um, if anyone's ever used Linear, I think Linear is like really nice. Like it's one of those tools where like just as I'm using, it, I'm like, I really like this software, right? And it's like you know I want to use it just because it's so good, kind of thing. I think that's kind of part of um, part of that experience. Um, anyway, I'm, I feel like I'm getting pretty kind of deeply like psychological here. I guess maybe if we kind of bring it back up, I think, you know, a lot of what micro interactions are, are really, you know, just kind of little animations here and there, like little things sprinkled in that, um, you know, just kind of reactions to user interactions, right? Um, so for example, I think maybe a classic one might be the um, Google's material design when you click on a button and it has that little pulse where you clicked, right? Yes. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's just like a subtle little thing, right? But it's like, you know, it's like, oh, it's nice. So I think things like that, I think there's, you know, a bunch of other kind of things, but I think maybe kind of just these little animations are kind of one, one thing I think we associate a lot with micro animation or micro interactions. Yeah, I think you've defined it really well. Like what I think of it as all these, those, it's like subtlety that it's like, it, you almost, you don't need it necessarily either. Like it's not, it's not even noticeable, but it is like, you're just like, wow, that was just that simple little tweak that it was there and it's just you're like oh that was nice and it's pleasant but it's yeah. like it's not needed like if it was like closing right. something it could just have closed or you know clicking something it could have just clicked but it is that subtle animation that just it feels nice it's it brings joy yeah that's a that's a, i like that it brings joy you know i want i want joy when i'm using my software right you know yeah. if you have to use something all day um and especially, you know, something like Sentry, where presumably if you're opening it, it's probably because something is broken. You don't want to <laughs> open it and, I don't know, have these harsh things closing in front of you. You want, you know, some nice subtleties that don't make you hate yourself more than you already do for breaking that thing. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So I, I'm curious, too, is like, I mean, other than bringing joy, what makes a micro interaction, I guess, make a better user experience? I think this is this is tricky because, like I said, it, it is kind of more of this like visceral thing, right? That was the word I was looking for earlier, just visceral. Um, but I think you know, part parts of it can be more than just kind of these like feelings. I think it can also be just making a really nice user experience where um, these micro interactions actually add to how usable it is. So, for example, I think I think one kind of good um, um, good thing to talk about here is kind of like accessibility, right? Um, I'm sure we've all kind of used that app where it is missing keyboard shortcuts, right? Where it's like you do a keyboard shortcut and you'd expect it to like do the thing. Like, you know, let's say you're trying to make a new folder or a new like document in whatever tool you're using and you hit, you know, command N, you'd expect it to do that, right? Um, and maybe it doesn't use that or maybe it doesn't do that. And, you know, it's just kind of like, oh, I got to like go up there and click on make, make it happen, right? So, you know, kind of the same thing like in, in web apps, right? Like if you open a drop down, you expect to be able to like use your arrow keys to go up and down right um and i think that that even in itself you know I, I would kind of define that as kind of a micro interaction right is where it's like these small little things and maybe i'm bending the definition here a little bit um but i think things like that can really really add to the actual usability of the application right um so you know building these good accessibilities into your components into your ui library um can not only kind of feel nice as a user, but actually make you more productive. Um, I mentioned linear earlier, and I think you know one of the one of the things I really love about about their um, their UX is we'll drink in a second. <laughs> one of the things I really love about their UX is just that everything honestly does work that you would expect to work, right? If you um, if you want to add a filter to your your list of tasks or whatever, it, it shows you right there that it's like you hit Command F, and if you do that, it brings up this dropdown, and you can start typing. And 
And it actually, it's, it's really incredible how nice the filtering is because it will start, it will take your typing and it will do like the fuzzy complete on all the various like things that you can filter on and suggest like what things to filter it. And I think to me, those are like really, really nice micro intera- interactions. Um, sorry, I'm talking a lot about linear. I've certainly um, implemented some of these things myself in Sentry. Um, and we can talk about that as well. Um, anyway, I think we need to drink. Yeah, cheers. cheers. I think uh, enough times. But yes, no, I like that a lot. It's like those subtleties can actually add value. Like I think you can add animations to too many things, right? Like you yeah. can actually go overboard. Yeah. But I like the way that you explain micro interactions is it's almost like it's adding value too, right? Like I think about it is another one that I always think of micro interactions is when you have like something where you've clicked something like and it turns to a loader, like Mm -hmm. almost immediately where it's like, yeah, you don't need it to like have this chunky feel. It just has this nice subtle animation to a load, which is pleasant. And you're also like, oh, something's happening. Um, It's those little things that can go a long way. You could just show a loader like that slaps up over it. But I think there is some subtlety there that just makes it more seamless. One one other example I was just thinking about, actually, um, is I'll be sure with this one um, I, on our on our tooltips in Sentry. Um, they used to just, you know, you'd hover over and they'd pop up. Right. Um, at some point, I, you know, I brought in Framer. Framer is great, by the way. Framer Motion. Anyone that is looking for a really good animation library, Framer is incredible. Um, I brought in Framer and, and it lets you do um, animation presence animate animations, which I think like are notoriously very, very difficult to do. Right. Where it's like something that unmounts and disappears. How do you animate it out? Um, anyway, so I added that to our tooltips so that, um, they would, you know, fade in and out, which is really simple, but then kind of this extra little thing that I ended up adding in was it would scale down, but the origin of the scale would be to where it was anchored. So if the tooltip was pointing downward at something, the anchor would be at the bottom tip of the tooltip. So then it would scale down, I think maybe like to 0.95, you know, scale. And it just, it, it kind of, well, not only does it feel really nice, but it kind of gives you an indication of like where that tooltip came from, right? So there's kind of this affordance of um, like, oh, that, the same thing when it pops up, right? It pops up and it kind of pops almost out of that, right? And so you can, it's, it's very obvious, right? It's 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 one of those things where you don't think about it, but it kind of helps you to see, I think. I like that. That made me think about, we were talking about tooltips a lot. I think there's so much you can do with like tooltips and small, uh, like, uh, sprinkling small things in that make a big difference. And I don't know if Sentry does this. I can't, actually can't remember, but the, uh, you mentioned shortcuts, like in the tooltip for a particular interaction, it'll actually like say, Oh, and show you that you can do these set of keys, um, to do a shortcut to get your faster next time. And I love that. It's just like this, like in place reminder of what uh, action that you want to do and how to do it faster next time, if you want with a keyboard. And I think, it's just like a tiny little detail like that that really makes uh, things more like efficient and nice. Yeah, it's a nice little detail. Like, no, I think it's a, what is the word? Affordance, right? It's a nice affordance to the user. Mm-hmm. I think like probably too deeply about things like this more on the meta layer. So I, I, I like uh, micro interactions because it tells me a lot about the company, which is really weird. Uh, but it's good. So a lot of companies, they they treat engineering, especially front end as kind of a, a cost center. It's like, oh yeah, those nerds, they, you know, they, they build web pages. Cool. Uh, and that, that's still true even today, which is kind of wild. But when I go to a website and it has like all these like pleasant micro interactions that shows some designer, some UX engineer, uh, some front end engineer put time and thought into the product. That tells me a lot about the culture. It tells me a lot about um, how the organization is structured that they can prioritize things like this. So it, it, I know it's really silly, but that's what I get when I see micro interactions. I see like, we care about the user and here's the little bit extra we're willing to give you. And that makes me much more inclined to maybe do business with them or sign up or something like that versus, you know, a cold austere website. You're like, yeah, it's functional, but there's no joy there. There's there's no delight. One of the, um, one of the things I spent quite a bit of time working on at Sentry um, this was a couple of years ago, I think, um, is the onboarding experience. So just kind of the post sign up, you know, creating your project, sending your first century error, that whole experience. And actually, um, I kind of thought a lot about that kind of the first user experience and kind of giving people that, you know, really nice feeling right away. Um, so I, I definitely kind of incorporated a lot of 
little little hints here and there. I think one of my favorites was when you, after you set up the project and you get your little code snippet for, you know, here's how to integrate your SDK and it tells you how to trigger an error. Um, it has this nice little kind of like blinking um, like beacon where it says like waiting for first error. And it's just, you know, it's a little subtle thing. Like it certainly didn't need to be there, right? But um, I think it, it, you know, definitely adds that extra touch that, um, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's like um, people care about that, right? It's almost like a tie back to like physical devices, like having some something, a, a light turned on or a blinking that's like, I'm I'm on, I've turned I've turned on. I think that's kind of an interesting way to like tie the the physical world and this like digital world that we're into. What is that? What is that? Oh, skeutomorphism. That's it. Oh, right? yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's, you know, it's getting trendy again right now. So you got to, you know, keep on the edge for that kind of stuff. <laughs> so I, I liked it. What Jem had said about the, you know, that it almost says a lot about the company that, hey, they're spending this extra time because we're saying like even earlier, we we're saying you don't necessarily need these things. It's not preventing you from doing something, but it, it goes a long way and it adds that polish. I'm curious, like it sounds like Century believes in doing this. So Evan, like how do you all find time to do that? Like, is it a design team or a product manager? Like, or is it engineering driving this? Like, I'm curious, like how that comes about, or is this just like built into the culture that you want to make these things happen or is it just really kind of someone adding that extra little spice into it yeah i love this question because i feel like there's like a lot to dig into here um so um i have this little story that i like to tell sometimes where um i remember right when i joined century um it was maybe like one or two weeks in and you know i was doing some little thing on the front end or you know maybe i was just using our product i think um and I noticed this, like, you know, there's just a like, few pixels of padding off somewhere, right? Where it's, it's, it's just like, it's one of those things where when you have the eye for it, you just see it. And, and I remember I took a screenshot of it and I posted it into Slack. And, you know, I was still very new. So, I was, you know, I'm kind of like, hey, everyone, like, you know, uh, just, just a little heads up. There's a little bit of padding missing here, like that kind of thing, right? And I remember I posted this. And then right away, the, uh, the founder of the company, David Kramer, um, who, if you, if you know him on Twitter, just notoriously opinionated. Um, I think he right away responded and he said like, oh, cool, someone else that cares about padding. <laughs> and I kind of right away was like, oh, I think I'm in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe to kind of like answer kind of the, the tip of your question there, I think a lot of it tends to be cultural where it's just kind of, you know, was embedded in the culture from a very, very early on time, right? Like, I, you know, I think when when um, when they formed the company for a century, it was David Kramer and Chris Jennings, who Chris was the designer and David was the programmer. Um, and I think, you know, they, they really just cared about making a good user experience. And so that tends to, I think, trickle through to just, you know, the initial hires and then trickle through to the people that are working there, kind of like longer term, right? So... These days, um, you know, I think we're we're around 300 people now, and I I tend to still, you know, even myself, I'm still trying to fit in little micro animations here and there. So I think while it it is definitely something that's ingrained in the culture, you still do have to push for it when you care about it. I think, and it depends how many people do care about it, um, because it it is. I do feel like it's a little bit of like a like almost you have to have the eye for it or something along those lines. Um, so a lot of what I see these days is either it will come it will come kind of through our um, our, our UX designers where they'll kind of have these really great designs and kind of point out these little like details. Um, and we have a few UX designers that actually will you know spend time and actually get in the code and, and create these things. Um, shout out to Vu, he does an incredible job at Sentry. Um, but it also, I think, just comes from, you know, the people building things or even just, you know, in code review, right, where I, I might I might look at something and be like, hey, this looks really nice. But, you know, what if we just put this little thing here or there? Um, and maybe the other the other way that I think these things can kind of be proliferated is just by making them easy to do. So, you know, we've we've built out a little bit of a component component design system type of thing. Um, and a number of them just have these things built in, right, where it's like, you know, you open the the drop down menu and the chevron rotates really fast, right? 
um, little things like that. Um, but that said, you know, I think it's still, um, it's, I don't know, it's, it's honestly, it's very much a mix. At least at Century, it's a lot of it does come down to just people caring and like really caring about building something good and spending a little bit extra time. Um, or just from people just talking, I think, right? Like, you know, I'll, I'll sit next to a coworker and be like, ooh, what if we did this <laughs> kind of thing, right? So I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'd, I'd be curious about your guys' experience maybe too. I, I think one thing for me, what Sentry was known for, besides like monitoring that's pretty, pretty well known in, in the industry, um, was like Sentry is one of the earlier companies that I knew for a fact cared about developers. Because like all of their marketing, but all, all of the way they designed everything and everything I heard about Century was like, that's a company that's going after developers. They care about the developer experience, which makes sense, which is like was is a big historical departure from the way software was usually sold, which is like you go after the CTO, the VP of engineering, or you know, really high up people. But instead, why don't you just give a good experience for developers? And then naturally they start using the product and say like, hey, this is pretty good. Let me tell my friends, let me tell my boss, et cetera. And it flows upward. And like, I can see that reflected in the culture that you're describing there, which is like really a really strong attention to detail. And like that goes into this micro interactions point, but overall, like it's cultural, like you care about the user, you care about the detail because you know, the users, some of the most picky people around front end engineers. And like, they know when you're not doing a good job or they know when something's not polished enough. And like, it, it's really, it, it's wonderful to see this, that work and that take off and that, that culture still holds even today. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think so. I, I do think, you know, um, it, it does get harder, I think, as the company gets bigger, right? I think, but but it, it really just depends on how you kind of manage it, right? So for example, one of the things that we do at Century is we have, um, we have like a front-end technical steering committee kind of thing where we just, you know, a bunch of front-end engineers just meet every two weeks and we just kind of talk about like, hey, like how's front-end life kind of thing? And, you know, we'll talk about things that we want to make better. We'll talk about things that we want to fix. And, you know, I was kind of talking earlier, a lot of these micro interaction things tend to bleed into, you know, good user experience type of things, or even, even I think sometimes, you know, I mentioned earlier a second ago um, about building micro interactions into UI components, right? We might get on the topic of like, hey, how can we make our components better? And it kind of naturally just leads to like, like, hey, if we can do that, then it would be great because then we can add this animation really, really easily. Um, I remember there was a a time during the pandemic where I was working far too much. And I think I, I spent a full night where I refactored like, you know, 30, 30 um, instances or call sites of where our modals were being used. And I refactored them so that they were using like React context or something. So I could put the modal in one place and then put like a animation presence around it. So I could add the really nice, you know, like subtle fade in animation kind of thing, which is really hard to do when, when you have modals that are um, spread throughout your whole code base. I also like that you brought up the design systems too. We talked about accessibility and, and how important things like that are. I think like the micro interactions we do, or we're just saying that there's value in them. And so I think when you put them in a design system, I think that's even where you really want to have that polish because it's at that point you're like saying, we have decided that this component is you know, in a good spot to be reused throughout our code base and throughout um, areas. And then you also get that consistency too, which is really cool. You had asked earlier about like how, you know, our companies think about it too. And like, I think about a lot of what I've experienced on the Netflix product side from a lot of what we've done for years is you're constantly iterating, like you're doing a ton of A-B testing because you're, you know, you're able to see like what works and what doesn't. And so you may not do those small interactions on something like an A-B test because you're iterating, you're deciding like, is this worthwhile? But when you start to almost like graduate something to a component library, that's like, you're like, oh, this is definitely living longer. And so that to me really like resonated for me where I'm like, yeah, you may not do that in that MVP or that iteration, but it's kind of taking the time to go, hey, okay, now we're we're taking the time to make sure that this lives and breathes, you know, that's refactoring, making sure that it's scalable, shareable, all the things. At that same time, let's add some of those micro interactions. Like, I think that's really where I see it play out. On Trello, I have a lot of good examples of this because I think Trello did a really good job over the years of adding these just little subtle things that make things feel fun and nice and like... Um, and, and I think it was a freedom and trust thing. I think gems, to Jem's point about culture, it was 
um, part of it was in the principles. There was like design principles for Trello about like make it fun. Like that was actually written out and talked about. Um, and then freedom. So like people could take time to add just that last little thing. And it wasn't about, oh, we have to ship on this date. It was like, are you proud to ship this thing? Does it feel good? Do you, are you, you know, taking just a, maybe another day to like add one more thing? That was fine. So it wasn't about deadline driven things. It was just like, yes, we want to get this out and, and get feedback on it fast, but also let's take just a little bit of time and, and make it more fun, which I really appreciate it. So that's like a culture thing too. Like if it, if you talk about that as a as a, an entire team and company and you instill that, it kind of keeps growing even when you hire people. Yeah. And I think, you know, just kind of naturally when you're excited about it and when you're sharing with everyone, um, it, it's not too hard to get other people on board. I think the hardest part tends to be just kind of um, – uh, really just the technical kind of aspect of it of like, you know, how do you make these little things work, right? Because it, it certainly isn't, you know, a lot of times it's not that that simple, right? Um, you know, I mentioned Framer earlier, because um, I think that it has actually made it quite a bit easier. But I'm, you know, I'm sure you guys can remember the, the days of, um, I can't remember the exact name of the library, but it was like React Animation, something like React Animation Helper or something like that. Um, where you just had to manage all this extra state to keep the thing mounted before it would unmount. Um, and, you know, we're just talking about React now, but, you know, I think even even before that, it was hard. And then if you even think back before, like, you know, CSS animations were a thing, it was, you know, I don't know. I came from the days of, like, I was certainly building Flash animation websites in, like, 2004 yes. and thinking it was the coolest <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> so, Oh, man. The days of even, like, Flash animations where you'd make those, like, big intros, right? But then you, you'd start to add the skip button, and it's like... Yeah, everybody was just skipping that animation. But com <laughs> companies were paying so much money because they're like, I need this. Like, I need this for my yeah. site. But yes, I totally remember that. That is not a micro interaction. That is like full on, mega. like, you know, a movie. Yeah, like mega interaction. I love that, <laughs> Stacey. <laughs> well, you know, I almost wonder, you know, what are kind of the micro interactions of like the olden days of the web? Because, you know, another thing when we talk about like just the, the <laughs> that era, it's like I remember spending all that time to make like the table rounded corner where you'd have the little gift oh my for the God, rounded yes. corner. And it's like, is that yes. is that like a micro thing of that era? <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a good point. Because also animations like outside of Flash at the time, that was just, like, it was almost like even JavaScript was just not really usable at that point. Um, and so it was really difficult. You had the, the clock that would follow the cursor. Oh yeah, that was that was the animation, <laughs> <laughs> the sand clock, right? Like yes. the timer. The, yes, <laughs> that's well, hilarious. How old we are now? <laughs> yes, but you know what? Another one that I don't know that I would consider a micro interaction, and I'd be curious on all of your thoughts of it. And I don't like it. I think it was a bad thing that we did as uh, front end <laughs> engineers, and it wasn't that long ago parallax scrolling granted i gotta give credit to a few companies who did it where it was like it was almost like bringing you in and like doing some subtle animations as you scrolled that like made sense like it added value most times people are like i need parallax scrolling i'm just gonna slap that on it and it was just obnoxious like it got i'm so glad i don't see that very often anymore but i don't know is that a micro interaction Apple still does it a lot, right? I feel of like of course older, Apple does. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's still every every new product page is that a micro interaction? I, mm, is there a macro interaction? Is that a thing? <laughs> We're coining it on this show. <laughs> I like <Yeah>. it. <laughs> macro interactions. I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's definitely not to me a micro interaction. I definitely agree that it's not good, <laughs> or at least it's it can be very overused, right? Um, I, you know, it's funny because I, I was as you were saying that I was kind of thinking about how I feel like we're. I don't know if it's just some of the newsletters I'm subscribed to. I'm, I'm subscribed to this one newsletter right now um, where it just, it, they, it's like a listing of like these maximalist websites, but it's, it's interesting because, because I feel like that, that kind of stuff is still happening. Like you can still find these websites that are just like almost over the top, but using kind of like a bunch of modern technologies. So it like, it works really well, I guess. Um but it's, I don't know, it's interesting to me that that's kind of coming back a little bit, at least some of it, because um, I feel like there was kind of a period where we just stopped a lot of that, right? So, Evan, we were talking about, like, 
how you approach adding the micro interactions or like who kind of pushes this in the company. And one thing that started to stem for me is like, even as we talk, like you mentioned is like Century gets bigger as a company, it might get harder. I think about buy-in, right? Like buy-in is unfortunately sometimes like you have to have impact. You have to demonstrate that for all the things that we do. And 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 rightfully so. Like you want to make sure as engineers we're focusing on focusing on the most impactful things. Is there a way in which you can measure the impact to users? You know, so as I, you know, as I've kind of been talking about this, I feel like maybe there's a little bit of a backtone that I had here where it's like these things I think, and I think probably maybe we all think this, is that they do make the user experience better. So kind of um, logically, it would kind of follow that like a better user experience is happier users means they're going to use your product more means they'll pay for your product, right? Or, you know, however it's monetized, right? So like all that follows logically, but I think it does tend to be pretty difficult to measure kind of, it's like the happiness, right? It's, It's like how happy do people feel, right? Because, you know, you can certainly measure, um, you know, just the the high level metrics where it's like, if I put all these micro animations, do people pay for us faster kind of thing, right? Um, but that's, that's really hard to measure, right? Because they're such small things and they have such small impact that, you know, unless you're at just this massive scale where like making these little changes, you know, Facebook or Google or whatever, making these little changes truly does impact to any sort of measurable degree, I think it does tend to be really, really hard. So yeah, so it's like on the question of buy-in, it kind of feels like how it almost ends up having to happen, or at least how I've kind of felt like it's happened at Century, is that just kind of up through the chain, people just kind of understand that these extra little touches do make the user experience better. And that is a valuable thing. And even though it can be really hard to measure, it still tends to be worth it. And again, that it, it's hard because, you know, I'm, I'm definitely dodging the question here of like, you know, how do we how do we actually, you know, present this as like, look, this will make us more money kind of thing. Um, and I'd definitely be curious to hear kind of all your opinions on this. But to me, it's like a craftsmanship thing, right? Like I, I tend to take a lot of pride in what I do. I tend to really, really care about making a really good user experience. And, you know, honestly, it's like I love doing what I do because I have the opportunity to do all these things. Right. So if a company came down on me, you know, if I was working at Century and you know, our, our, our lead UX designer was like, all right, Evan, no more micro interactions. Like, don't waste time on that. <laughs> and, you know, I'd start questioning things. Right. But, you know, at least at Century, like, you know, we, we do care about that. And we do have, you know, people that are behind us that are higher up that are, you know, saying like, these things are good kind of thing. And then, I don't know, on top of that, at least for me, and I definitely don't think this is great, but I, I tend to just spend the extra time because I want to, because I care about building something that's really good. And because I just kind of, get a lot of enjoyment out of that. And it it especially feels quite good when you build something like that and then you have people like mention it or comment on it or tweet about it. Um, and they're just like, oh, Sentry has this like great, awesome thing, right? Or, you know, whatever it is. I think there was a few tweets that we had about our onboarding experience being really nice. Um, funnily enough, actually, the thing that we get tweeted the most about, it's not a micro interaction, but it's the... Um, Eh, maybe it could be. It's it's the loading spinner under it when Sentry's loading. It says, "Please wait while we load a massive amount of JavaScript" or something like that. <laughs> yeah, <I've seen> that. <laughs> we get so many tweets about that. I, it made me laugh. At, at some point, someone was like, "Some yeah, someone was like, we should remove that. It makes the product sound bad." I'm like, "No, no, 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 <laughs> not not when you're speaking to engineers. Too. Yeah, like people appreciate that." Yeah, but yeah, I'd be curious. I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think? Is is there like how do you kind of measure this, or how do you present it in such a way that you know can convince your your higher up MBA person <laughs> that these things are worth it? I mean, I don't know if these. I, I feel like measurement on this stuff is very difficult. A CSAT is something that we do. I'm not sure if, if you've ever had those. It's like the satisfaction thing. Like, hey, would you recommend this to somebody? And um, you know, Trello has incredibly high CSAT scores, but some of the other products in Atlassian are not as high. And it, I've always kind of, I personally thought about like, what is that? Why, you know, what is the difference between those things? And it's, it, it's not one particular, you know, micro interaction. It's like the entire experience rolls up into this idea of like, yes, I enjoy using this product. It helps me get things done. I would recommend this to somebody. But like that is still fuzzy. It's not saying like that particular interaction you built contributed directly back to that. It's just this overarching sort of measurement that 
gives you some signal. Yeah, if you're if you're starting from kind of ground zero where, you know, you have none of these nice little touches, it can be really hard to, you know, because you, you kind of have to get to that tipping point where the product goes from being like, yeah, it's fine to like, ooh, this is nice, right? And then that satisfaction score that, you know, CSAT goes up. Yeah, I think unfortunately for me, I think it's like mostly it is qualitative. Like it's like you can ask and kind of like, there, there's probably ways to quantitate it, but it, it's it's just tough. Evan, you mentioned like it would have to be like a lot of traffic, you know, an A-B test to like measure yeah. does this interaction actually, you know, move the needle for someone paying us or signing up um, using the product that, you know, that's a that's a hard one. It's like those little interactions are really tough. I, I definitely think that there's the qualitative, but I, I also liked, Evan, what you said, even in the developer happiness too. Like, I think that that not even the customer side of it, I think that there's got to be something to be said about having your engineers and designers and everyone feeling fulfilled with the product they create. And, and that's very squishy. Like that's not a hard <laughs> measurement, but I think that having a really strong culture and people happiness there, and it's not going to be the micro interaction that like makes or breaks it. But like you said, is like they start taking that away. You know, you've been at Sentry yeah. for a long time that tenure might start to drop across the company of people staying. So I think like, yeah, it's a tough answer or it's a tough thing to answer, but yeah. There's probably a broader topic there because I, I kind of think about that same thing with just generally the whole kind of like health of Sentry's code base, right? Um, personally, and I might be biased here, I think that our front end code base is actually a lot better than our Django code base. Every time I'm in there, it's just like, oh my God, how does anyone get anything done? Like that kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's hard, right? Because like, if, if things deteriorate slowly, it's hard to see that happening. Right. But it can get to the point where it's just like, oh no, this is less good now. It's less nice to work on this kind of thing. Right. Um, and it kind of is the same way, the other direction, right. You really have to kind of look at the, you know, I don't know, the long tail of it, right. Of like, um, you know, ha has, have things been improving, right? And that's, you know, I mentioned earlier, that's why we have the like front end TSC where we can just talk about these things and make sure that we're happy and make sure that we're doing things that, you know, we care about to the degree that we're able to, right? Like, obviously we can't just be like, all right, everyone, we're just going to only work on, you know, micro interactions or TypeScript migration for the next month. Like you just can't do that, right? But we know that. I'm curious, what are, what are some examples of bad, Microinteractions or microinteractions, say poorly timed, poorly implemented, things that kind of frustrate and annoy the user rather than bring delight. I mean, I think we mentioned earlier, you can definitely have, you know, too much, right? Like if, if too much stuff is moving at, you know, I know people that just completely turn animations off, right? Um, I think like that's an easy one. It's just like when too many things are happening, when things are fading in and out, when, you know, hover animations are extreme, right? If anything just takes too long. Um, I think people can be particularly sensitive to that. That's probably one of the biggest ones is anything that just takes too long. I mean, I'm sensitive to that, right? Um, where it's like, I want things to happen fast, right? Which I think they can help with, not to flip this question around, but you know, if, if something moves really fast and it kind of tends to feel faster in some ways. Um, but I don't know, what would be like a good, I think, I think maybe just that kind of broad category of just like things being slower because of it is probably a bad example of, um, or an example of something that's bad. What about like overdoing the interaction? Like maybe the micro interaction is adding like a tiny spinner while it's in a loading state. And every, you have a bunch of different teams working on a single page when they're all adding these spinners and pretty soon the whole page is spinners. It's like at its, at its initial inception, that spinner was good. It was like, okay, it's making me understand that I need to wait. It's a tiny little thing, tiny little animation. But then the whole page is like, all spinners and you're like this is not not good i feel like i just i just joined one of century's typical tsc meetings where we talk about this for 30 minutes <laughs> in my early career it's an important lesson and once you once you see it you won't be able to unsee it now uh we learned the lesson don't use your company logo as a loading spinner because if it's loading all the time and it's slow people will associate that with bad feelings and like people get really angry seeing the loading spinner all the time Hence, nowadays, I think most UX uh, designers know that. So you don't see company logos as a loading spinner anymore because early on we learned you see that loading spinner. And you, like, you get so mad. You're like, why is it still loading? I hate this company. And like, 
it's one of these weird things that you won't know until you actually study it. And like the history of the internet, we've kind of forgotten about the how we've gotten here. But that was an early early lesson on a bad uh, micro interaction, I, I suppose. And then the other one is fake loading screens. Yeah, like I hate fake loading Skeletons. screens. Like don't. Yeah, if it's just automatic, just don't show it to me. Just let it let it go through. But don't give me something fake and it's like stuck or it says it's done and it's not done because like it's not tied to anything. Uh, I, I those are examples of uh, maybe some bad micro interactions that I've come across. Yeah, I mean that almost kind of ties into like the dark pattern things, right? Um, I'm I'm sure there's some examples of of like dark pattern micro interactions. That can that can be another. <laughs> I gotta Google that now later. Um, you mentioned the the company loading spinner. Sentry actually still uses the Sentry logo as its initial loading spinner. <laughs> now that you said that, I'm like, oh, geez, do I, I got to like, talk about those people tomorrow. <laughs> I think it's tasteful. I don't know. Initial initials probably okay. I think it's more like that if it's every, like every, every page or everything interaction you're trying to do is probably that negative feel like waiting for, a, you know, a single page app to load. It's like, that's probably not so bad. Cause I think when Jem said that, I was like, yeah, they're, you're really right. If it's this loading all the time, even if it was small, that would be the tough thing. Do you guys think that the, um, oh, I guess you mentioned this, the, the skeleton loaders, is, is that overused these days? I think when they're over, um, when the animation is too intense on those, when it's like the 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 dark where it's like slowly fading across the screen, but if it's too dark, it's just I don't know. There's I think there's subtlety in in doing those where you can make them not as obnoxious. <laughs> it's it's so subjective to all of this, right? And a lot of it, it's like you know I, I hate to use this word, but it's like it comes down to like kind of taste, right? Where it's just like use. You know, another another story that I, I like to think about with just this kind of stuff is like I, I kind of remember way back when I was like learning web design and just like building websites and just copying what other people were doing. And I remember one of the things that I kept copying was you would have a border and then under it, you would have like a lighter border to give this like slightly inset look. And it was really popular in like the 2004 era. And I couldn't figure out why. Like I knew how to do it, but I, didn't, I couldn't figure out like why. Like I knew it looked nice but I couldn't figure out why kind of thing. And it's kind of the same thing with this where it's like, I know this feels good, but I don't know why kind of thing. And I think in, when you're able to answer that, it helps you to be able to, you know, better, um, better know what things will or won't work like just overall. Right. All right. That's probably a good time for us to uh, dive into picks. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose picks of things that we find interesting, sometimes related to the episode topic, often not. Stacy, do you want to start us off? Sure. I've got two, a uh, couple of calming music tracks for picks tonight. Um, first one is called When You Were a Child and I Was Young by Indian Wells. Uh, he made this track for his daughter's uh, third birthday, um, and he said that he imagined a fantasy world with a children's theme, um, something that sticks with her and kind of reminds her of that time uh, with uh, with him, like as she was a young child. I thought that was very sweet, and it's a really good good track. Um, Spirit Loop by Rival Consoles. Um, this one's just built around a piano loop. It's kind of um, uh, I guess tying into our show about aesthetics and uh, things, it's a minimalist, like freeform minimalism, uh, lo-fi kind of track. Um, both of them, nice background choices while you code. Right on. Jem, what do you have for us? Uh, I've got one pick. It's an article in Slate. It is about uh, car manufacturers bringing back buttons. Uh, so this has like been a gripe for me for such a long time about things, uh, manufacturers moving to touchscreens for everything, which I, I think is ridiculous. Like you're not allowed to use a, a cell phone, but somehow you're allowed to create an interaction where I have to look away from the driving to like turn on the air conditioning with a button or with the touchscreen or, or something like that. It, it, it's kind of crazy how we've just let it happen. I, I don't know. Um, I, I definitely can blame Tesla as this one. For, and other manufacturers followed along. Uh, people feel like a touchscreen is more premium. But the irony is touchscreens are actually substantially cheaper than buttons and car manufacturers. So they're all like, yeah, 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 touchscreens. Let's touchscreen everything because it's so much cheaper than a button. Uh, 
But thankfully, there are a few card manufacturers that are bringing back buttons because they've discovered that uh, touchscreen is a terrible user interaction. You can't memorize anything. You're not going to memorize where your hand is. You you look away from the from driving just to do basic functionality. Uh, so that's my that's my pick. Is I, I'm uh, this article in Slate about manufacturers bringing back buttons. But overall, yeah, we we don't need touchscreens in cars. It's fine for some things, but come on, don't be cheap. Car manufacturers. I love it. <laughs> That's my pick. All right, Evan, what kind of picks do you have for our listeners? Can I self-promote? Absolutely. All right. No shame a, in that. I've got a few things then. Um, I found that newsletter that I mentioned earlier, um, the the one with kind of the ex- extremist or extreme, ex- what is it? Uh, yeah, I think that's the right word. Um, the, the more extreme websites, the the maximalist, that's what I was looking for. I found the newsletter earlier that has the, uh, the more maximalist, maximalist websites called Set Studio. Um, check it out. They have a really nice um, newsletter that I, I think it's like every other week. And it's just really cool little, you know, a lot of it tends to be um, design studio websites. Um, the other thing I mentioned earlier that I think maybe I would make a pick would be Framer Motion. Check that out if you use React and you want some nice animations. Um, Obviously, Sentry, please come check us out. Um, and then maybe a little self-promotion for myself. I actually DJ on the side. Um, I have a I have a SoundCloud. I play trance music. So if you're looking for something completely the opposite of what Stacy suggested, something <laughs> a little more upbeat around 130-ish BPM, um, please come check me out. Um, SoundCloud slash. Oh, I think I'm, oh, man, I'm doing that thing now. I'm like self, I'm hardcore self-promoting. Um, I think it's just <laughs> slash Perkizer, P-U-R-K-H-I-S-E-R. Awesome. Thank you. That's great. Uh, I have two picks for this episode. Um, one is TV show on Netflix. Uh, watched this a really long time ago. It's still fairly new, but uh, one I don't think we've shared. It's uh, Beef. Um, such a good show of basically just two random people that meet and just not end up not liking each other. And it is a really great show. Really well done. Highly recommend that one. And then I've been listening to a podcast on the Twitter drama. It's called Flipping the Bird. I I think they only have like four, maybe five episodes uh, so far, but it's it's interesting because it's like not that long ago that all this has happened. I mean, it's still going on that there's a lot of drama there, but it's interesting to kind of hear it told as a story and in some ways painfully relive some of the things that people have gone through, but they do a really good job of it. And I, I highly recommend checking that one out. Evan, thank you so much for joining us. This is an awesome topic talking with you. Where can people get in touch with you? Other than obviously listening to your SoundCloud, where can they get in touch with you? I mean, people are definitely free to email me, Evan Perkizer at Gmail. But you can also do Evan Perkizer at Sentry. I think I am on Twitter. I'm on GitHub. I'm kind of all the usual places. Um, love to talk tech. So, you know, please hit me up. Awesome. Well, thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can find us on Twitter at FrontNHH. You can really subscribe to us on whatever you like to listen to us on. We are on actually SoundCloud as well. Yeah. Any last words? I appreciate you guys having me. I really had a lot of fun. So thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers.